What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Matthew Graham is the CEO of Sino Global Capital, where he has almost a decade of investment banking experience in mainland China and has been investing in crypto for a few years. In this conversation, we discuss his recently announced FTX-backed fund, his current portfolio, China, India, and where Matthew sees the big opportunities today. I really enjoyed this conversation with Matthew, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Miami Coin. As you may have heard when we had Miami Mayor Francis Suarez on the show to talk all things Miami, including his excitement for a project that's really caught my attention, Miami Coin. This is the first token to be released by CityCoins, a community-driven initiative built on Bitcoin. CityCoins aims to give people around the world a new way to support their favorite cities. In short, the city of Miami was given $7 million and counting by private citizens to improve the city with no strings attached. A city government embracing crypto instead of fighting it is a historic event. Do you want to get involved? Follow at MineCityCoins on Twitter to stay up to date with the project and chat citycoins.co if you want to join the community discord and contribute to the movement citycoins.co next up is Athernity. you might have noticed just how many nft projects are coming onto the market lately the problem it's becoming harder and harder to determine the true lifelong value of nft collectibles meet Athernity, the world's first authenticated and licensed nft platform trusted by over 150,000 members on Athernity.io, you can buy digital NFTs and redeem real-world unlockable collectibles and experiences. The Athernity platform allows users to go ahead and participate in a multiple different ways. At Athernity, their team believes in transparency and legitimacy. That's why they partner directly with the individual, the team, the brand, or the league, so you know that what you buy is the real deal with value that will stand the test of time. They've got tons and tons and tons of licensed IP. It's actually pretty incredible how much licensed IP they've already locked up. To check it all out, go visit Athernity.io to register for upcoming collections, buy and sell in the marketplace, and much more to come from the app to packs to virtual worlds and gaming. Athernity.io, the home for licensed IP with NFTs. Athernity.io. Last but not least are my friends over at Compass Mining. They are the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. Their team makes it easy to start mining wherever you want, at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. Through the Compass Marketplace, retail miners can access mining hardware with similar prices and purchase plans as the world's largest mining companies. Compass miners own their own machines. They can choose whatever mining pool they want and they can mine directly to their own wallet. Miners who don't want to host their machines can order ASICs directly to their doorstep. Simple and low-cost hosting agreements, coupled with best-in-class customer service, are the reasons why Compass is the simplest and most popular way to mine Bitcoin. Start mining your own Bitcoin today by visiting compassmining.io. Compassmining.io. If you want to get into mining, go to compassmining.io. All right, let's get into this episode. I hope you guys enjoy this one.
Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. What's up, guys? Bang, bang. I've got Matthew here with me. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks. Uh, great to be here. Absolutely. Let's just jump right into Sino Global. Uh, it's a fund that you have that is uh, focused on China. Uh, help us understand how the fund came together, what the thesis is, and then uh, what your portfolio looks like. Sure. So the backstory is that I was a China-focused um, tech banker uh, for many years. And so I had been following Bitcoin as a passion, as a hobby since, I don't know, 11, 12, and uh, 2011, 2012. And I, starting in 2013, I kept trying to interject my hobby into my professional life. And so that, that started out with terrible results. For example, in, in 2013, uh, I pitched one of the top 10 telecom manufacturing companies in the world. They, they said, um, tell me your best crazy idea. So I said, well, I think you should have a, a Bitcoin phone for power users. I think this is going to be a... a something that's going to be a huge phenomenon in tech. And you could establish yourself early by, by making a hardware-software combination, working with an, another company that I, I can't say. But, but you guys could do it together, and you could have a Bitcoin phone for power users and get in early on something that I think uh, is going to be pretty, pretty huge. Um, that was in, in 13. And so the, the response was, well, I asked for your best crazy idea that that is a crazy idea and I and I fucking hate it. <laughs> so that was my first attempt to combine my hobby with my professional life. But um, so I, I continued following very closely and then um, post Ethereum to me, this uh, was a signal that suddenly this was actually a much bigger story. And so when I uh, started reading about Ethereum, that that was um, um, my first true love in crypto, probably. Um, I, I, I realized that this, in my view, at that at that moment, uh, this was now something that was going to be as big as the internet. You know, in the late 1990s in the United States, um, um, it was going to be that same feeling. I, I was very confident, and so for the internet in the 90s, I was like a little too young for that, believe it or not, to fully get involved at that time. So I, I was determined not to miss this kind of like second chance at a, to participate in a generational uh, technology change. So um, I'm actually a very small C conservative type person. So we started uh, out. Um, so at, um, but by this time, sorry, by this time I had my own shop. So um, I had my own boutique uh, investment banking shop. And so we pivoted <clears throat> into crypto and being a kind of a conservative guy, we started out. Uh, in the secondary markets and with some small angel investments um, and and uh, over a, a, a period of time and uh, kind of increasingly confident with uh, an increasingly successful AUM and uh, just as a prop shop. And so uh, then in the last couple of years is when we decided that we wanted to pivot to making private, to adding private market investments, VC style investments and that's when we needed kind of like a bigger presence because you need deal flow, you need to be out there in the marketplace. 
And so that was kind of the next uh, iteration. Um, and so up until now, we uh, have been a prop shop managing partner capital. And uh, so actually, by the time this is viewed, we will have made a blockbuster announcement, which is that we are launching our first institutional fund. Um, and um, it's co GP with FTX, as the listeners very likely know by now. And we're super excited to have FTX uh, come in as a co GP and as a, a very significant LP. And to uh, it was kind of the natural next step in our relationship with, with FTX where we've done deals together and we're an FTX shareholder and we've known them uh, since since very early days uh, in their incredibly successful journey. And so uh, we're pretty pumped up about these these new things. So walk me back through first, before we get to the FTX news, uh, when, when you were a prop shop, what were you investing yeah. in and what was the thesis? Sure, so um, the, the thesis at a high level uh, was, this is one of the reasons we were able to, to get involved with DeFi uh, pretty early is that at a high level, I've always had the thesis that financial markets tend almost inexorably to trend towards increasing complexity and, uh, and abstraction. Um, so we've always kind of looked to participate in what we thought could be the, um, the next uh, example of that. So for example, um, if you only have spot, you should start looking at, you know, um, uh, platforms that are kind of going to provide futures and options and things like that. There's there's always going to be a trend towards complexity and abstraction. So um, that has always been one of our top level theses. But I think even more than that, really, we are bottom up investors. I think this is uh, a unique market in that it's so dynamic. It moves so quickly that it's enormously important to have a very agile, nimble approach. Um, and uh, And so really, we look for unique entrepreneurs with uh, with clearly differentiated visions and that are the kind of people that we would want to support uh, for the long haul. And, and that's that's uh, been our approach in the secondary market. And, and now it's a, our approach in the primary market as well. Got it. And talk about the geographic focus that you've had as well, uh, historically. Sure, absolutely. So Given my uh, genesis as a China-focused tech banker helping international um, tech companies in the mainland China market, with our VC hat on, we look to help international blockchain companies uh, here in this enormously <clears throat> complicated market in a manner that's uh, consistent with local laws and regulations. And uh, obviously, it's a it's a very idiosyncratic market. Even for the very best international projects, it's uh, quite impenetrable for them in many ways. So we are their trusted partner uh, across halfway across the globe in many cases uh, to be able to help them access this market. And um, and actually, we are uh, working on a huge new initi initiative these days, which is that we are adding a second geography. And so we are actually adding the India market in a enormously bullish on India crypto market, which I think is in its early days, but uh, growing very, very rapidly. I'm extremely excited about uh, being able to represent our friends in this 
Got it. And so when you think about uh, the types of investments that you've been making, uh, you've got this geographic focus. Uh, are these uh, traditional illiquid private company like venture capital type investments? Are they uh, more liquid um, kind of protocol or token investments? Sure, that's a great question. It, uh, it ends up being a combination of both. Um, so the most common example is token investments. Um, and uh, so so these are also long-term investments, but, but in the form of tokens. Um, the second most common bucket is equity with the token kicker. Um, and the third uh, bucket, which, which uh, is kind of reserved for extremely high conviction situations, that's the equity bucket. And so we are equity investors in, for example, Wintermute and also FTX. Got it. And so let's talk about uh, Solana. I think you were a very early investor in mm -hmm. Solana. Uh, that has been a spectacular investment, just as a, an example in terms of your investment thesis and, and kind of what's possible. Walk us through when did you first hear about Solana? How did that come together? And then uh, what was the investment? So very openly, we uh, first heard of Solana when the decision was made for Serum to build on Solana. So we weren't like first, we were just super early. And so <clears throat> Uh, when we invested in Serum, um, that was that was basically a no no brainer to be able to have a central limit uh, order book uh, on a in in decentralized world, and it's you know the the FTX family. So that was that was like a super quick decision, high confidence, but it led to the decision that we needed to find out everything about Solana like now, <laughs> and so we essentially dropped everything for a period of weeks, and we did a lot of external tech consultations and, and things like that with friends from, from all around the world. We did a real deep dive. And um, so a lot of it came down to pattern matching. A lot of it came down to people and pattern matching, which are two of my favorite things. So people, I think that if anyone has gotten to know Toli and his team, they're just uh, exceptional people, both in terms of technology expertise, but also in terms of like being amazing humans. So that's a, the perfect kind of people that we love to back, that we have full confidence that they're gonna make uh, ethical decisions that we're comfortable with, that they're um, um, in the worst case, they're gonna keep grinding away, things like that. So they were like an A, triple A for people. And then um, the, the second bucket is, um, so, and obviously they had a, a clearly differentiated vision. They were uh, building a, a blockchain that was scalable in a fundamentally different way. And um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not a computer scientist, right? But I'm really good with pattern matching. And so the fact that you, you the analogy, <clears throat> excuse me, the analogy is that um, it's almost like when CPU started to hit a wall and it became increasingly difficult to increase CPU speed. And then people said, okay, so we're having trouble um, getting more performance in this way. What if, what if we started, what if we went to a, a multi-threaded model? And so to me, that was kind of the pattern matching and that was kind of the analogy that Solana was like a multi-threaded blockchain, which may not be perfectly true in a technical sense, but in, at like a 10,000 foot pattern matching level, um, that was something that um, that I kind of, um, that, that, that really resonated with me. And so it was very clear at that time that it was a bet that had tremendous asymmetric upside. A lot of people were worried about the big unlock, things like that. So the valuation was enormously <laughs> reasonable. 
Um, and it was clear that we were super early, which is we, we like to be, you know, we, we don't want to be too early, but we like to be very, very early. I remember uh, at that time, the hardest thing actually was to uh, get a fill. So I had to call OTC desks all around the world, some that I hadn't even dealt with before. And it was a long tail asset. So I said, you know, we will take all the Solana that you have. We, we will literally whatever you have, we'll eat. And people were saying, what the fuck is Solana? <laughs> you know, these are crypto OTC desks. And they're like, we don't, we don't have that. So it actually took a, a long, I mean, a, you know, a surprisingly uh, long period of time to get as much as we wanted. That was actually the most difficult part. But um, what price was this at? That, uh, that was in, in the range of our, our fills were in the range of um, uh, 80 cents to a buck 30 in that range across across that range, I think, um, uh, you know, ballpark. I, I don't want to be more specific for OPSEC reasons, but yep. it was, you know, it was around it was around that range, let's say. Let's call it so it, it, it's and, up 150 okay. to 170 X, depending on, you know, what, yep. what day it is. Uh, when you look yes. at something like that, I'm really interested in uh, one, you make what I'll call the initial allocation. Uh, yeah. Two is... Do you continue to invest in an opportunity like that as it goes, kind of press a winner once you see that it's working as kind of validating your thesis? Or is that initial allocation kind of the totality of of, uh, of the allocation? And then the third thing is, how do you think about uh, managing a position that I'm assuming was you know relatively small in the portfolio and now becomes a, a very large part? Do you- It wasn't small, it was a concentrated bet. It was, okay, so concentrated bet becomes even bigger. Do you- I don't, I don't like um, spray and pray, I'm the opposite that okay so do you trim positions <laughs> as they grow or just walk me through like once you make the initial decision sure. you have a concentrated position do you continue to add to it over time or because it's concentrated <laughs> concentrated in the beginning you basically stick with uh that initial allocation sure that's a great question and so i would phrase it this way so uh fundamentally i i, I fall into like the paul tudor jones school of like uh you don't add to your losers and you add to your winners so that's the first thing at a high level but then the second thing, um, I don't really want to be FOMOing in. Uh, so what I look for is a second catalyst um, or, or you know, a catalyst beyond the initial thesis. Um, in the case of um, Solana, after the unlock, which obviously was a bullish unlock, <laughs> uh, we actually added to our position. Um, so I, I can't get too specific about, about the price. But let let's say let's say it was in the um, uh, let's say it was in the ten to fifteen range. We actually added a, a second uh, swath, uh, and basically that's my fundamental um, way of looking at it. You add the winners and you trim losers, and um, uh, uh, you look for additional catalysts because you don't want to be fumbling it. Yeah, it makes uh, makes a ton of sense. Um, and then when you look at, let's say, Solana today, uh, I think there's a whole bunch of debate in the uh, crypto community around uh, Solana, Ethereum, uh, Polkadot, Binance Smart Chain. We can just go down the line. There, there's so many of these now that uh, people have various thesis on. How do you see it uh, playing out in the ecosystem? Uh, is this something sure, that could potentially disrupt or take market share from the Ethereums of the world? Sure, sure. That's a great question. I would say that fundamentally, I am a multi-chain guy. So in my view, we are still so early just in crypto as a whole. And there's tremendous room. Um, an enormous understatement would be to say that there's tremendous room for the ecosystem as a whole to 
to keep growing, right? We're still, you know, a thousandth as big as we will eventually be crypto, for sure. I'm convinced of that. So I, I tend to uh, not, uh, I mean, there will be some cannibalization, but to me, this is more about betting on multiple growth stories. Um, as I mentioned, we were early, fairly early buyers of Ethereum in the secondary market, and we still have a, um, a substantial Ethereum stake, and we still look at Ethereum investments as well. And we continue to look, uh, you know, every month we, we look at at least one or, or two uh, additional chains and make a, a, a pretty thorough analysis to determine if we want to allocate capital uh, in, a, in, in a different space. So for us, we're bullish on Solana, but we're also bullish on Ethereum. Yeah, I mean, of course, to some extent, these are going to go toe to toe. But uh, I think there's room for multiple players and we're quite confident across both those chains. And I think that there will be other chains that emerge uh, as well. Talk to me about Bitcoin in terms of how you see that fitting into the ecosystem. Do you guys hold Bitcoin? Uh, how do you think about it from we a portfolio do. construction standpoint? And uh, how does that play with uh, the other investments you have? So so we, we do hold Bitcoin. And uh, so in my view, um, we probably want to be, I, I'm bullish on Bitcoin. We hold Bitcoin. Uh, for us, we want to be a little bit further out on the risk curve. So um, it's not what we would view as a substantial source of alpha for us. Um, part of that, too, is because we, we don't really view ourselves as macro guys. I'm not, uh, I think it's very difficult to predict um, in, in general. There are exceptions. But uh, in, in general, I think it's very difficult to predict bull and bust cycles in the crypto space. Um, there was maybe one possible exception where, where we went that short, but but uh, in, in in general, that's kind of my my thesis that um, the extent to which you would be successful predicting those cycles will be dwarfed by the um, by the gains that you miss out just from the fact that we're in uh, across long time periods a a an industry that's growing so fast. Um, so basically, we hold Bitcoin. Um, but we, we don't view it as where we're going to get our primary alpha for, uh, from, and we want to be further on the, out on the risk curve. So I would kind of view it in that way. Got it. And so talk to me about this fund with uh, FTX. They're coming in as a GP partner with you. So you two, uh, you yes, and uh, FTX will both be co-GPs. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. They're coming in as a co-GP and also a very substantial LP as well. And it was kind of the next, uh, it was kind of, kind of a very natural uh, outgrowth of our long-term and deep relationship with FTX uh, and with Sam uh, specifically. And uh, so we had done deals together and um, uh, it, it was just kind of very natural, actually. <laughs> In fact, when we made the initial decision, it was about a, a five-minute conversation to do it. <laughs> In true Sam style, I said, hey, you know, I was thinking about this and then we talked about it for five minutes and he said, all right, let's do it. <laughs> very, very Sam style. Got it. And, and so what is the thesis of this fund? Is this going to be China and India? Is this going to be uh, all early stage protocols? Like, how do you think about that thesis? Sure. So it's going to be a continuation of our Sino process, which, again, tends to be very bottom up. And uh, so basically, to answer your questions about geography, uh, in general, I would say it tends to be the other way around. Actually, it tends to be we help international companies in these geographies. And so that's the reason why they want to have us on their cap table, because we're extremely strategic for them. Um, it's enormously difficult for even a stud entrepreneur in Silicon Valley or Lisbon 
that hasn't interacted with the China and India markets before to be able to do so in an effective manner. And so we're, for, we're on your cap table, we can uh, help you, you do that. And so we do go the other way as well um, in terms of investing in, uh, in, in China and Indian entrepreneurs. Actually, we're working on a, a blockbuster deal um, uh, in India as we speak. Um, and, and Delta Exchange is a portfolio company based in Bangalore. Um, but his, at least historically, uh, historically, um, the, the, the concept has been that you want us on your cap table because we invest in a traditional way, a very long-term way, and uh, we're going to help you in, um, in, in markets that are 2 billion people, more than that combined, right, China and India. And, uh, and, and you, it, you probably know that that is going to be something pretty helpful to you and that you definitely can't do it yourself. So you need um, a high trust partner that's going to work with you in a long-term way to make that happen. Got it. And this is both in liquid protocols and also in equity deals? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And then what size checks are you guys looking to write out of the new fund? Sure. So um, it is a stage agnostic fund. So I would say that we can do seed through series B. And um, so the, the check size is, is quite variable. Um, I would say most of our checks uh, go in the 500,000 to 2 million range, but we can definitely go higher in very specific high conviction situations, we could definitely do five or, or, or 10. Got it. And when you think about uh, what the opportunity set is, uh, FTX obviously being a partner uh, and a large LP, is there other institutions that you're gonna raise capital from, uh, individuals? Like, how do you think about the other uh, portions of the capital base? Sure, so um, the reason to, there are a couple different reasons that we wanted to go institutional. And so first and foremost is, um, I don't know if you're familiar with like the NASPERS story, but NASPERS um, was one of the early investors uh, in Tencent. They invested in Tencent, you know, it might've been even at seed and they never fucking sold any, right? I uh, hope I can swear on, on, on you can <laughs> I, I swear I, my habit is to swear constantly. I've been on my best behavior so far, but, but so they invested really early in Tencent and they never sold fucking anything. Right. So Naspers now is sitting on at the very least tens and tens of billions of Tencent stock. Actually, it might be higher. It might even be like a hundred billion dollars. This uh, South African conglomerate. Um, so there's Naspers on the one hand, now, here's a different example. We all know that Goldman Sachs, they're the smartest people on the planet, basically. These guys are really fucking good. But one thing where they messed up pretty big is they invested uh, in Cedar Series A, I guess it was, uh, in Alibaba. And they sold Alibaba in like 2000, I don't know, two, 2002, 2003, something like that. So they sold when it was still hundreds of millions of valuation and they missed out on all those three gains. I want to be Naspers. So uh, the first reason that we're doing an institutional fund is I'm not selling my fucking FTT or my salon or any of this stuff. I'm holding this like indefinitely. So we wanted to take outside capital to enable us to keep on our existing propriety. Um, for us, um, one of our, the advantages is that we can help with your international uh, venture. Uh, you're doing your inter the international aspects, especially in Asia, of course, right? Um, but so for us, 
that means uh, we want to be able to have stakeholders all around the world. We want to be able to bring in LPs and friends in places like Berlin and Lisbon and just all around the world, right? So that was an additional reason for us to move to this new institutional uh, 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 model and take outside capital for effectively the first time. Got it. And so what exactly are you looking for? There's lots of people who work in the industry that are listening to this. What What are the things right now or themes or uh, specific opportunities that you're interested in? So, uh, you know, again, I would emphasize that we really are bottom up guys. And that's because I just think this industry moves too fucking fast. I'll give you an example of why that actually was to our benefit. Um, I fully admit that, you know, crypto kitties was cool, but after that, I didn't really think about NFTs too much. Um, and that would not have been one of our top down theses if I, if I, if, if we were a top down investor would not have been one of them. Right. But then about two years ago, I started to see early signs that, uh, NFTs were picking up. And so we started to invest uh, in, in the NFT space because we, we looked in a bottom up way for people that were doing cool shit in that space. And so I think that's kind of, a, and, and as a result, we were able to be pretty early on with, with NFTs. Um, and I don't think we would have been able to do that if we were locked into these top down theses. So fundamentally, I think we're just more bottom up guys. I look for, um, I look for people that are doing uh, differentiated, that have differentiated visions in a long term uh, uh, that are working on an, in a long term sustainable way. And then obviously I look for these, these, these fucking, you know, tech studs or just Uber geniuses like, uh, you know, Tolly and Vitalik. And of course we all know SBF, right. It's just, you know, what he is. <laughs> is fucking amazing, right? Talk you to know? me, talk to me about Sam. What, why are you so impressed with Sam? So, you know, a lot of this obviously is pattern matching, but we, we actually, we met Sam, uh, when FTX was like three people, I cold called them and I visited them in Hong Kong. And, you know, at that time, so again, this is a great example of why I don't believe in top-down investing. Also, nobody thought somebody could um, dethrone Binance. It was basically inconceivable at that time. It was, or at least it wasn't on people's radar. Nobody was thinking like, oh, somebody's going to come along and they're going to kick Binance's ass. This was basically not anything that anyone thought was likely anytime soon or that they should be actively looking for. But then you go and and you meet Sam and I mean, he's just, you know, you, you can't talk to the guy without five minutes, you know, for more than five minutes without realizing that he's clearly one of the smartest people in the world. And um, but I, I actually don't think that's the secret of his success. I think it's sleeping on that fucking beanbag, you know, working and out hustling uh, everyone else number one, and number two, the fact that he has successfully built um, an FTX culture that is composed of people who are also really fucking smart and sleep on fucking beanbags. So that's, to me, what the real secret is with FTX. But, um, you know, obviously, it um, wasn't like I, I, I met him and instantly knew that he was going to be potentially the next Jeff Bezos, but it was very clear that this was... Um, in a symmetrical path that I wanted to take in, in the biggest way that I could, which is what we did. <laughs> Got it. And then talk to me about FTX's rise. It's been absolutely incredible, obviously, uh, yeah. um, has uh, taken everyone by storm. But what's your read on that? Having been an early investor. Sure. So um, uh, I think, you know, again, it's um, it's the extreme level of technical and business competence um, gets you kind of like the ante. But again, you know, I really think it's the fact that they're out hustling people with um, with product iteration and with the fact that 
Sam will literally answer uh, people's DMs about, you know, tech questions or whatever question, things like that. Um, I, I think they're just out hustling people as well. So if they're definitely smarter than the competition, honestly, and they're also out hustling everyone, you're going to get some pretty good results over time. Um, so, and, um, you know, one thing that I was thinking about the other day, though, which is just fucking amazing, they have five engineers that built out the FTX platform, five. <laughs> so think about how good these guys are. Um, so it's not like a super huge organization yet, but they're all fucking studs. Yeah. And they're all hustling. Do you think another exchange could come along and uh, and dethrone them? Or do you think that they've got what it takes to uh, to remain at the top? Um, I think these things are always hard to predict. I think um, the the bar is now incredibly hard and it would be I, I don't think you can ever say, well, no, it couldn't it couldn't happen. I, I, I don't believe in that. That's not a real thing for anyone, including, you know, Amazon or Google or, or whomever. But it gets increasingly difficult because you, you build a mode and, and, you know, it gets it gets harder and harder the more dominant and established you are. So um, I think. Uh, FTX is a good example of the institutionalization of crypto, which a lot of people, you know, view as maybe not good, but I view as amazing because maybe because I'm, uh, you know, I, I am a TradFi guy in my in my origins. Maybe it, maybe it's I, I'm not as good at being a, a revolutionary, maybe. But but look, this is about institutionalization, and these guys are fucking studs. They um, they came a lot of them came from Chain Street, um, which is not a household name because proprietary trading firms um, manage their own capital and they have no reason to be household names. But Jane Street is, um, you know, right up there with uh, Citadel and, and companies like that. And, and, and it's even more elite than, than Goldman Sachs, basically, which we already, as we already talked about, they're fucking studs over there. So these guys are best of breed. And um, I, I never believe in, it's not possible to get knocked off, but it would be incredibly difficult uh, for someone to compete to go toe to toe with them. Is, Absolutely. Is How big is your team in terms of, uh, as you've kind of built this out, you, you've uh, really made a name for yourself, been very successful. How do you think about building your team? So I, I think of it, um, I'm not a, a big believer in, in having um, uh, huge teams. We've got 12 people. I, I, um, we're actively looking to expand. We're especially hiring for India. Um, but uh, I don't really believe in having huge teams. Uh, we have a distributed team. So we have two people in the United States. We've got Europe. We've got all across the world. But everybody's focused on the China and in, the, in India markets. Um, one thing that I do believe in, though, um, which I believe very strongly in, we have um, a super unique and tight corporate culture. And I think it's one of our biggest assets. And, I, and the reason that we have that is because it uh, from day one has been intern to hire. So everyone except for myself started as an intern, uh, paid intern, of course, um, including our general counsel and head of investor relations uh, started as an intern. He just joined us full time, but he started as a 39 year old intern with a law degree. <laughs> so um, so we have an extremely tight knit, uh, very unique corporate culture, which I think is our strength. And I, I believe very much in, in this intern to hire model. Um, but I don't necessarily believe in having like these big fucking teams. It's not super interesting to me, especially not for a, a, a VC. Yeah. I, uh, I love the intern to hire model. That, that is fantastic. <laughs> especially there's an yeah. element of uh, intellectual humility. If somebody is willing to start as the intern, even if yeah. they've been successful in their career. So, um, the, the one thing about that though, 
um, intern at Sino is a little different. So in in intern, you can have enormous responsibilities starting day one because it's it's basically a trial by fire. It's the opposite of like getting coffee and things like that. You're you're doing everything as if you would, uh, uh, as if you were already a you know an investment analyst, investment associate, or whatever the jump function would be. Um, so it's it's intern in the sense of being a trial by fire for up to three months and um but it's it's very much doing you know extremely serious work from from day one you can you have enormous responsibility got it when you think over the next 25 years uh what are the one or two themes that uh you want to focus on are are there big kind of macro type themes that you're like okay we are going to do our bottoms up research and investing but here's the the big thing crypto in general however you want to define that obviously is uh the the biggest macro theme but are there kind of sub themes within that Um, it's very difficult to answer questions like that obviously but um you know i would say that in my career i've made two uh, huge bets. There were two times when, when I said, okay, I'm going to take that, that big swing, the home run swing. I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to really go for it. There were two times that I did that. And the first time was, uh, was, uh, I bet on China. And the second time it was, I bet on crypto. And the third is that I'm betting on India. So I would say I've made three, um, taken three home run swings, uh, in, in my career to try to hit the ball out of the park. Um, so right now I'm, I'm really thinking about, uh, the fact that India has an enormously youthful population with um, a slice of the population that is that goes to schools like IIT, Indian Institute of Technology, uh, which is actually a, um, a series of schools, kind of the way that um, that the um, that the the Cal Berkeley, kind of the way the Cal system works. But those schools are every bit as good as any um, tech. Uh, university in the world up to and, and maybe even including MIT. So they've got um, a swath of extremely educated, enormously talented engineers. They've got a very youthful population that's increasingly interested in crypto. Um, so favorable demographics, a rapidly growing economy, uh, and um, in a tech literate population, I'm making a big bet on India. I would say that's that's the thing that um, that's the the third big bet that I'm that I'm making in my life. And and I you know when I make these kinds of big bets, it's definitely a ten year bet. Got it. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about uh, the firm? <laughs> so um, our website is sinoglobalcapital.com. But also, I would encourage you people to check out our GitHub because. Um, I, I believe in kind of the crypto ethos. And so as a part of that, we open source all of our investment theses and our reports and things like that. And uh, so I believe our GitHub is Sino Global CAP, CAP for capital, short for capital. So uh, that's our GitHub with all of our open source investment theses. And that's also the company Twitter as well, Sino Global Cap. And then as many people know, um, I'm available to talk shit on Twitter at Maddie Sino. <laughs> All right. Before I let you go, we got to talk about Twitter. You are a, uh, yeah. a prolific tweeter in a very unique way. There's uh, <laughs> strokes of genius. And I've seen you tweet things I'm like, wow, that is a really profound insight. And then there is just complete yeah. shit post as well. So what is the what is the Twitter strategy that uh, when you sit down and you're like, here's here's what I'm going to tweet today. What is the, what's the thought process? So, uh, so here's the thing. So, um, it, none of that, this was intentional. Um, so I, I just started like tweeting one day 
just as like a form of creative expression. This was not a calculated marketing strategy or anything like that. Um, so uh, obviously, you know, it's actually grown into a powerfully uh, effective tool. Um, and, and so I, you know, I've thought about it more over time, but at least in its genesis, it was not a calculated strategy. It was just me expressing myself. And look, I'm, I'm pretty fucking eccentric, to be honest. So it gets a little, you know, a little fun and it gets a little weird. And there's there's me um, with some some cool insights. And then, there, you know, I love to talk shit. Uh, so there's some of that. Um, but um, so it started out as a non-calculated just way for me to express myself because, you know, I'm uh, I, I don't really have a lot of. I, I'm, I'm working, you know, 80 hours a week, and I'm at my computer, and and I like to fire off, a, you know, a couple of tweets, as uh, as my way of taking a break every hour or whatever. So it started out as that, but actually, I really think that, uh, especially in crypto, increasingly you have to have a brand as a VC. So it, it came about naturally, but I, I think it's it's um, had a, a great effect in terms of uh, Sino being able to have a unique brand. And uh, and personality and people um, feel like they know us because they fucking do. They, you know, I'm I'm very open about who we are and what we're like and things like that. And um, it's a great way to get to know entrepreneurs better and to get to know people better and to support our portfolio companies and and things like that. So it it actually is um, a pretty powerful business tool, but. You know, the genesis was just me expressing myself. <laughs> I think you're doing a great job. I uh, I enjoy it. I I enjoy both uh, the insights, the shit post, the locking of horns, the whole nine yards. I think it's important, uh, and it's uh, one of the only industries in the world where this happens out in public for everyone to see. So it's uh, it's pretty damn. Cool. I do want to say you handled the shit talk better than basically anyone I've seen, Matthew. Because listen. you know there are two there are two categories of of shit talk that I do. The first category is with buddies of mine, like you know. Larry Cermak or whoever that I'll make fun of. I don't know. He's like nine feet tall, you know, whatever. Um, but then the, the second category is people I don't know as well. But I, I like to, um, uh, you know, I, I, I talk shit and, and I, I like to kind of make a point at the same time. But I, I really like, yeah, I like I, you punched back and I really fucking liked it <laughs> because because it was a combination of two things. It was the fact that I respected that you you were like enough is enough and you punched back. And then I especially respected it because, um, uh, you know, because I, I DM'd you, right? And I was like, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that it's it's not personal. Like, maybe I was trying to make a little bit of a point here, but also I like to talk shit. And you were super fucking cool about it. And both of those things I really like. So I have to I have to say you <clears throat> you handled it uh, better than almost anyone that I've, I've seen because I do like to talk shit. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I, I did just want to say that. Well, I appreciate that. But uh, you, you know, you know why uh, that is. I have four younger brothers and in my house of five boys, we, right, right, right. The, the language is talking shit. Yeah, you just that, that's how you, you know, like when you walk into the room, you have to talk shit. If you don't talk shit, you're going to get mowed over. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I have uh, decades of experience in this realm. You didn't know that you were dealing with a uh, expert exactly. shit talker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, it, that, it makes sense. Now. Yeah. Sense. Awesome. man. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on and uh, doing this. Obviously, the work that you guys are doing is, yeah, uh, is fantastic. Uh, you have established yourself as one of the best investors in the space. Um, and then obviously 
with the uh, the new announcement and FTX joining as a uh, a co GP on this new fund is very exciting stuff. So we're excited to see what you guys are able to do there, and uh, we'll definitely have to do this again in the future as uh, you continue to grow right. and succeed. Thanks so much. This was fun. Great to be here.